there isn't any one just pivot that you make and all of a sudden now I'm good. It's a constant, you know, self-reassurance, self-talk, whatever you need to do to get through each day. All right, guys, welcome back to the Rewire Your Life podcast. I am Dr. Alok Trevetti, a.k.a. Dr. Rewire. Today, I have someone super inspiring that you guys are going to love to hear from. He's got a brand new book out called The Rugged Life. He's a retired Navy SEAL, 20 years of service in special operations community. Thank you for your service right off the top, my friend. Um, involved in the initial push into Iraq was a SEAL Team 3, NSA, and SEAL Team 6 as well. Just an amazing individual. Founder of Escape the Wolf, a crisis management system for global companies and and he's got the handbook around it new york best excuse me new york times best-selling author of a hundred deadly skills series host of you can survive this podcast please help me welcome clint emerson clint thanks for being here my man hey thank you for having me clint you have done so much in this in this short thing called life already and i was watching some of your videos earlier you were born and raised in saudi arabia if i'm not mistaken correct that is correct. Oh, excuse me, you grew up there. I grew up there, second grade high school. Yeah. 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 And I guess let me ask you just the mental aptitude of this. Like you, you, you grow up there, you, you go through this whole world living there, and then you come into this world, and as a Navy SEAL, was there some sort of a, a conflict, maybe a challenge going back there, fighting, doing what it is you had to do during that time? No, well, I mean, I always tell people that the culture as a child certainly uh, weighed in on the direction I went in life. And, you know, I'm very frank about it that, you know, I saw, you know, Saudi men treat me and my family like we were, uh, you know, second rate citizens, which is kind of normal for that society. But as a kid, you you translate that much differently, you know, and then, of course, you grow up and you become an adult. And you go, OK, that's just cultural differences. They're just they're yeah. they're their people. We are our people. You don't have to agree with everybody's ways, but it left enough of an impression for me to go. All right, I'll join the Navy and uh, continue down this path and um, ultimately fight terrorism. I love that. I really do want to thank you for that, because you're right. You know, I'm an I'm an East Indian guy. I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and there is a cultural difference. There's no question there is, right? Like, I mean, my parents are different and there's a cultural gap. And when I go back and I see people from India and family members who've been here for a shorter period, there is a cultural difference of how they, how they raise each other or how they live with each other, how they interact, the, the male-female dynamic inside of that. And it is, it is very different. And, and it almost sounds like for you, it almost propagated you to become the, the antagonist to bring equality into that culture yeah i think so a little bit i mean it not only just seeing my parents but also seeing you know saudis what you know the basically the people who work for almost nothing in that country are indian pakistani and filipino yeah. and uh you know and they're treated like crap and now of course you know saudi's trying to change their uh their global image and they're taking on some more western you know characteristics but you know, they still got a long ways to go. And yeah, I mean, I grew up, saw all that stuff and then was like, all right, I'm, you know, I really don't like that kind of stuff. So I'm going to go, you know, make my mark. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> in, it. In my own way, you know, that probably sounds, you know, 
a little, uh, you know, racist or sounds probably bad, but, you know, honestly, I grew up in it and was surrounded by it. So I don't care what people label it. Yeah. Well, I think you have a whole different vantage point of experience, right? Which is kind of why you led you to the book, like this idea of the rugged life and it kind of led, led you to this book and this process you've created. Tell us a little bit more about the rugged life and the book that you've written here and what's it all about and where does it stem from? Yeah. For up till now, all of my books have been surviving seconds, minutes, days, right? The 100 Deadly Skills series was given, you know, good people like bad guy skills, if you will, right? If you know how your adversary operates, then you're going to be able to detect it and elude it a whole lot easier. Um, Then I started thinking, oh, wait a minute, people just need bigger, broader skills. I call them lost dad skills, right? And that's what the rugged life is. All the things dads should be teaching these days is within the rugged life, right? And so it's given, and and with that, those kinds of skills um, provide a whole other level of independence and freedom. You know, when you actually start using your hands again and put down the cell phone, you'll find that you're far more satisfied and gratified with doing it yourself rather than having other people do it for you. I love that. Give me a couple of examples of maybe some things that, that you're saying that uh, are there in the rugged life. Yeah. The rugged life is broken down. The chapters say it all be your okay. own butcher, be your own hunter, be your own handyman, be your own is the goal. And basically you fill in the blank and it's probably covered in the book, you know, just, giving everyone those basics again to what I figure were the 10 big pieces of life. Um, So be your own RTO, which is communicator, you know, having, having backup plans, having options. That's what all these skills are. Imagine if the, you know, your cell phone doesn't work, how are you going to communicate with your family? Most people don't even know how they would do it. What do you do if there's no text? I don't know. I got a text. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a whole chapter on how to communicate outside of cell phone, you know. Okay. Uh, But, you know, it's just getting people to embrace, you know, self-reliance. You know, it was a very short period of time, uh, you know, 200 less or less or 200 years ago, you know, people knew every skill in this book and then some. But it's also important to note that I'm not saying go back to Little House on the Prairie. It's sure. uh, the key, the key subtitle, the key word in the subtitle is the modern guide. So, right, we can use technology to our advantage to, to being self-reliant. And so when you say self-reliant, I guess, I guess you kind of had to do that, right? Being in Iraq and going through the challenges you've gone through, and you had to figure out how to become self-reliant. But how does that play into the role of people being part of a society and part of a team at the same time? How do you use self-reliance in a team? Can you talk about that? Maybe that dynamic for how someone strengthens that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a saying in the SEAL team, it's a team of individuals, right? Each individual has their specialties or they are a subject matter expert in something. And so you take all those individual subject matter experts and bring them together then all of a sudden you've got not just a team, you've got this force that, you know, is going to just wreak havoc on its adversaries. And yeah. so the same thing can apply that if you just take and embrace some skills and be a little more self-reliant, you can be your own little force or your family can be its own force that doesn't have to rely on others. It's like creating an air gap between you and all the crazy that's going on in this world, you know, whether it's the economy or wars or coming out of a pandemic or supply chain issues or lack of baby formula. I mean, you can make your own 
<laughs> now I don't cover how to make your own baby formula, but you know, there are other things in there I talk about that you can make to kind of replace that whole thought process. You know what I love what you're saying here is really about giving yourself options. I think that's what it yes. comes down to, right? It's about yeah. giving yourself options and knowing how to create options for yourself. I think we, we, you know, I have this saying that the more extremophilic the thinking, the less the independence someone really has, which means that the more necessity there is, all or none's or extreme states, the less real focus they get to have and have options because it's high or low or high or low inside that. And they can't balance and they can't have think properly to be able to sit and say they have, they have options. That's why I love what you're kind of what you're saying. Like, how do you communicate if you're stuck in the wilderness and the cell phone dies? And how do you talk to somebody? Like you need options. If you don't, you'll go into complete stress mode. Right. Right. But, and then it's, it's a, from cover to cover, it's a book full of options, a book full of backup plans. Um, but ultimately it's a book full of skills that every person uh, should know whether they need to use them or not. You should, you should know them. And so how did you come up with this idea of the self-reliance and, and then writing this book? Why did that, this really, why did this touch your heart more than, well, it came out of a toilet paper shortage. I thought that was just so, <laughs> I thought that was so ridiculous. Like, you know, so I started thinking about I'm like, wow, people are really that incapable. And that and, uh, and is as a backup, right? Here's the world is falling apart. There's this virus, you know, on the loose. And the the psychology of toilet paper and how it goes back to, you know, us being infants and you know, I, I remember reading a really good, you know, academia paper on why that happened, but it goes back to that, us anchoring back to being a child. And for some reason, not having toilet paper is, you know, in the, in the, in the unsanitary aspect of living life without it is just, was so grave that people felt like they not, not just buy one 32 pack of toilet paper, I need to buy right. six 32 packs of toilet paper and stock up on it. So anyway, it really, it really shined a light on people's thought processes. And, and I felt, well, you know, I've done all these books that give you skills on how to survive against bad guys and crisis and disaster. But man, what people really need are just basic skills to survive day to day and know how to thrive. You know, the rugged life is all about thriving, not surviving. It's creating um, skills for yourself and for your family that, so that you don't have to worry about what all the other crazy people are out there doing. Yeah, I love that idea. I, I really do like the idea of the simplicity of it. It's like you get to take control of your own game inside that. You do a lot of yeah. crisis management, and it's something that's one of the things that you focus heavily on with corporate America and situations. I guess what would be the three main things that you look at in a crisis when you assess it, navigate it, and then to help resolve it? Well, you kind of just identified what the process and the policy should look like, right? You've got the, the on the preemptive side, you should have measures in pay, place, which usually is policy and policy then turns into educating the, the workforce, right? And so once you get everybody educated, uh, that is key to, to eluding crisis altogether. Now, we all, especially me, having been ambushed a couple of times, I've learned to respect the element of surprise because you can be as prepared as you can and still be surprised, right? So you have to accept that surprise always exists. And then that in itself is, can be, um, uh, you know, eluded or those surprise attacks, if you will, um, can be diverted or lessened or reduced by action. And so 
education allows you to make decisions a lot faster, especially when we talk about time, right? You have clinical, you have more of the clinical time, and then you have more of the tactical time. Clinical time is, hey, I'm, I've got, you know, my lights are on. I have plenty of time to make decisions and test and do this and do that. And there's no stress. Whereas tactical time is I've got high stress. I have no time, but I need to make decisions right now. So that training is what's most important because then it allows you to just go straight into action mode when something bad happens. And then the last piece that you mentioned, that post-crisis is really all about rounding up all the lessons learned and then implementing them back into training. So Mm -hmm. if you continue that cycle over and over again, and hopefully you're doing it with drills, not real world events, you're taking those lessons learned, go back into training, training then to the workforce, workforce then acts on it. Actions lead to lessons learned. And then, you know, you have that cycle of improvement, but you know, crisis management is all about getting ahead of it in the first place, which most companies, you know, um, there's a lot that do it, but a majority of them don't. They just buy insurance. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Like I was, I was going to ask you how many people, how many companies actually go ahead and do it. I can't say that we do it, but, and, and I don't know that, I don't know that we know how to do it, but like, how did, how do you market that? How do you tell people to get ahead of that curve inside that? It's really interesting how you would do that. It's tough. It's tough. I have to be my, I have to be the guy that's sitting in front of these, these crisis management folks folks at a company, because most of the time when you talk to risk folks, risk equals insurance. So, you know, I'm, I'm countering every major insurance company on the planet by saying, Hey, you really don't, you need insurance, but you know, what will you, what will really work for you not having to make a claim against it is educating your workforce on the big five, which is, you know, the big five is man-made events, natural disasters, cyber threat awareness, safe travel abroad, and then medical, right? So if you just gave the workforce this broad education on a regular basis um, without taking time out of the workday, then you're putting yourself exponentially that far, that far ahead of crisis and it never happening in the first place. Well, it's really no different, right? Like I'm, I'm in healthcare. I'm a doctor for crying out loud, right? It's really no different. Like insurance is there for a crisis situation, but most of the world is living on the premise. I need my insurance so that I can go there. But the real reality is you educate people on the front end on how to take care of their body and what the body really needs. And you know, that Twinkie is not gonna matter today, but having them every day is gonna make a difference on what your body does over time. And right. the more education you get on a day-to-day basis, it's really no different from what I'm hearing. It's just a parallel in that capacity. Wouldn't you agree? No, you're right. You know, you're yeah. right. What's funny is, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, I've got part of my pandemic crew are guys that built the pandemic programs for you know, the White House and DHS and all that, they're all former military medical doctors in the world of infectious disease. And, you know, the companies that used our pandemic planning prior to there ever being a pandemic were the only companies that actually stayed open through the pandemic. (laughs) But but the best part is those uh, crisis management folks that I went to and said, hey, you know, we, we offer this, you know, pandemic policy and planning. And they laughed at me and said, that's like planning for a UFO invasion. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, a year later after giving them that pitch, you know, where the whole world was under a pandemic, which uh, is pretty interesting. So you, you just can't, the point being is don't ever underestimate what the possibilities of what could happen. You know, you have to just go, you know, 
yeah, I might as well just, and it doesn't take much to, to be prepared for something, you know, it really doesn't. People just rather say no than just than, uh, take the time to be prepared. And the rugged life really is still just giving you those skills and whether you use them or not, knowing them is giving you those options, those backup plans so that you're basically ready for a rainy day. I love that because that's, the more you're prepared for, it's such a simple thing that our parents used to teach, right? Be prepared for a rainy day. And that's yeah. really what it's about. It's completely about that. When you wrote this, when you've been writing, you've been doing this, you came out of the, the, um, the Navy SEAL team. Let me ask you this, because this is really, this podcast is about the way that we think. What was your psychology like after you left that world? Like, how did you adapt? I know this is a challenge, and, and if I'm, it may be a sensitive question. If, I, if it's too sensitive, please feel free not to answer it. But what was the psychology like making the shift to civilian life? Because I've worked with a lot of people over the years who've had to make that and help them rewire that mentally so that they can actually adapt in, to, the, to the environment that they're in. Yeah, I've been, I've been retired for uh, seven years now. And uh, I tell people all the time, I'm still transitioning, right? It, there, yeah. If anybody knows, you know, whether it's the mental aspect, which is connected to the emotional side, it, it, really, when you talk about mental health, it also includes the emotional aspect. But I find it interesting that there isn't any one just pivot that you make and all of a sudden now I'm good. It's a constant, you know, self-reassurance, self-talk, whatever you need to do to get through each day and the transition is ongoing. And for me, it's all about setting goals, you know, to whether I'm compartmentalizing the past and going to deal with it another day um, or, you know, going on a long run and sometimes being overwhelmed by some of those thoughts and memories, whether it's my dead buddies or, you know, just crazy stuff you know, that run in itself is therapy, talking yeah. to people all the time is therapy, making sure that you've got goals and just keeping your mind focused on other things is therapy. You know, I think every day you're just, I'm, I'm filling my day with things that, you know, just keep me moving forward. And eventually, you know, yeah, I probably will be able to do a day, a week, a month, a year and go, wait, I didn't actually have any of those bad memories or a moment of depression or, you know, feeling, feeling bad about whatever. Um, I, I just tell people, you know, you just, you deal with it every day and everyone has their ways of dealing with it. And then you just, but the goal is put your head down and keep moving forward. I love what you said there about depression, a moment of depression, right? Yeah. This is where a moment of depression, not a state that I'm going to sit and wall, not wallow. No, I'm going to say it this way, wallow in that, whatever that depression is. Oh, You're yeah. in there for a moment and then you jump out of that. How do you do that? Uh, you know, sometimes it's a distraction. Sometimes it's a, it's a task. I mean, it's all distraction based, you know what I mean? Like sure. you're, you're going, all right, well, what am I going to, uh, cause I wake up almost every day, not feeling like doing the things that I end up actually doing. <laughs> so, I mean, every single fucking day, I do not feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing this interview. I don't feel like doing half the crap I do, but you have to tell yourself, no, you're going to do it, you know, and you're going to get it done, uh, as best you can. Um, and then you're going to put whatever those thoughts or feelings aside. And I feel like over time, it's gotten way better, right? When I first got out, holy shit, it was, uh, <laughs> it was big, that? big, big battles with myself. Um, but those battles have gotten smaller and smaller as time goes by. 
And in my work, really, um, Clint, is that, you know, I can take someone and rewire situations of any point in their life. And I've had a chance to work with a lot of um, vets like yourself and, and, uh, and, and just crazy stories, but then rewire it in a matter of minutes, which almost sounds almost crazy. Like, what, you can take someone and rewire someone in minutes? Yeah, 30 minutes, like, done. I can rewire a situation, a past uh, grief, what a sorrow that someone doesn't have to live in that. Um, so I know, like, I can't say I know firsthand, but I know through clients and experience and patients over the years that it's, it's not an easy journey. So I just want to thank you for doing that, number one. And number two, like, I love what you said. Like, I just make, make shit happen. I go out and get it done. Like, I don't stop myself. And that's something that, like, everyone who's listening right now, think about that just for a second. How often are you letting yourself tell yourself that, hey, look, I, I got this story and I don't feel like it. I got this story and I don't feel like it. But here's a guy who's gone through hell and back and seen probably a lot more than most people have in this capacity. Definitely probably more than I have in any capacity. But in most people, and still says, you know what, I'm going to keep moving forward. But it's not just I'm going to move forward. He's going to continue to serve, right? He continues to, to write books, continues to go out and be of value into, this, into the world and thinks in the future and is setting his goals and forward strategies towards that. And was this something you picked up on your own, Clint, or is this something that like was taught to you in the SEALs? Like, how did you navigate that? No, I think it's just life, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'd love to say that, you know, the, the government gave me all these great, you know, <laughs> tricks, you know, yeah. but uh, I think everyone lives a certain life. I believe that you go in the Navy and come out the Navy, pretty much the same kind of person. So if you're a, you know, if you're a depressive kind of person before you went in the Navy, then you're probably going to come out, you know, in a depressive state. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, horrible things happen. A lot of great things happen. And I think yeah. you just have to remember, you know, all the, the great things. And I think too, you got to, like I said, at the beginning, you have to have goals. It's like, what is the why? Like, what is it you're working towards striving towards and make sure it has a why that why could be for family. It could be for, you know, you know, the greater good, you know, or, you know, just whatever it is, just make sure you got a why and then just start start chipping away. I think it really brings us back to the initial conversation of self-reliance, right? That mental capacity of self-reliance and your why and, and your, whatever it is for you, your family, whatever it is, and that self-reliance comes back into place inside of that. Clint, let me ask you this and a couple of final questions here. Like people become rugged in the rugged life, as you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. um, is there a fear for people that they're going to lose their connectedness let me say that or is is it the exact opposite <laughs> well i think yeah we're all we're all addicted to our technology no doubt about it and uh, like i said at the beginning it's it's not to disclude it it's to use it but use it in a way that benefits you in in entirely different ways of self-sufficiency self-reliance so i don't think anyone's going to miss it or go oh my god you know i don't feel as connected as i did i think they're just going to realize that there's a whole other side to the technology you know we people forget this is this is a encyclopedia this is volumes yeah. and volumes of information the rugged life <laughs> is all about taking a little bit of risk doing some hard things leveraging technology to get yourself through it, right? Because the education is there. Um, try them. And then I think on the back end, right, if you fail a couple of times and then once you have that success, because the rugged life isn't about easy, right? It's not about convenient. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's about doing things with your hands again. And, and uh, it's okay to mess up because in the, 
you're not going to have the instant gratification that you get from your cell phone, but you will have far more gratification and satisfaction when you do it yourself. I agree. I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. And final question, and probably the most important is how can people get a copy of this book? Where can they connect with you? Where can they get a copy of the book? How, how can they find out more? Oh, it's everywhere. So you can go to clintemerson.com and you see the rugged life plus the hundred deadly skills series and other books, or you can go to your, I, I totally recommend go to your local bookstores, your brick and mortars, buy it there first. If you can't find it there, then, if, then it's on Amazon. Um, but yeah, go out, walk. <laughs> to walk to the store. <laughs> and buy something you know yeah amazon's great delivered to your door but you're only going to get fatter because of it <laughs> yep. i agree with you 100 percent. yeah i agree with you 100 look dude i just want to first say thank you for your service number one yeah um, no thank you for what you've done thank you for writing these books as well and now continuing to serve in your capacity that you do and it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on this podcast and show um anything anytime you want to come back i'd love to have you back and continue this conversation it's been truly truly inspirational well, thanks for having me, and uh, good luck with the continuation of a great podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. There you go. Clint Emerson, self-reliance is the key, right? The Rugged Life. Go check out his book. Go walk to the store, pick it up, and then, uh, and then if it's not there, then you can order on Amazon. I want to thank you guys for joining me today again at the Rewire Your Life podcast. I'm Dr. Alok Trevetti, a.k.a. Dr. Rewire. I'll see you the next time. Have a great day. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you subscribe so you're notified when the next episode is posted. Rate, review, and share this podcast with someone you think will like it. And remember, you can always find the visual version of this podcast on my YouTube channel. Just search Dr. Rewired. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you at the next perfect time. Thanks a lot.